paying too much for health insurance? Frustrated by high deductibles, network restrictions, and increasing premiums? There's a better way. Christian Healthcare Ministries. CHM is a Christian community delivering a robust, faith based solution to the high cost of healthcare. If your current health insurance has become more of a racket than a remedy, take back control of your healthcare at around half the price. Learn more and enroll today at chministries.org. That's chministries.org. History made on Capitol Hill as Kevin McCarthy becomes the first House Speaker to be voted out of the post. For more on this developing story, download Tuesday's episode of the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. I'm Stuart Vonney. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, October 4th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. Is President Biden too old? To be reelected, more and more voters say yes. Whether it's the the gaffes in, in speaking, some of the unfortunate falls that he's had, or just the way that he's handled certain situations, it's made people feel not that they don't like him, but they're just more concerned, wondering is he really up for the job? And Lisa Brady, owning a home is becoming less affordable, but not giving up can pay off. At some point, the market will turn around. Rates will come down. There'll be some kind of fundamental change in the market that will make it more accessible. You need to have that money together when that happens so that you can take advantage of the opportunity. And I'm Carol Roth. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. He is the first 80-year-old president we've ever had. And Joe Biden wants to stay in office till he's 86. I think he's too old to be president right now. Like, he doesn't know what's going on right now. It's like he had to drink a monster drink or something just to stay awake. You know what I mean? Like, he's really just very tired, and the job is arduous. A majority of Americans agree with those voters in Pennsylvania. I think he needs to be in front of voters to show that he's not the sort of doddering old man that the Republicans are trying to make him out to be. But it isn't just Republicans. A new Monmouth poll shows 76% of registered voters surveyed agree President Biden is too old as he runs for re-election. More than half of his base of Democrats are saying they believe that he's too old. But what's most troubling to me about this is the trend. Lee Carter is a pollster, president of Maslansky and Partners. When he took office, it was about 40-something percent said they felt like he was too old. That's a huge increase in just a couple of years. And so the trend isn't with him. Now, the same poll also says about half of Americans say Trump is too old. But that has stayed steady. That's the same exact number that we had in 2020. So Trump, in the minds of people about his age anyway, certainly that hasn't changed. So Biden has an issue there. You watch the way candidates react to polls all the time. This is a little more difficult. This isn't a policy issue. This isn't something where he can try to convince voters he's right or wrong on something. This goes to he's 80. How does someone turn this around? I think Joe Biden is trying to make an effort to change that. So there's an advertising campaign. I think they spent something about $25 million on this campaign. Try and talk about the energy that he has. I think he's done a number of things trying to demonstrate that he is 
fit, whether it was going to Ukraine and doing the long train ride and other things that he has tried to do. But it's just not convincing to the American people. They see him differently. And that whether it's the, the gaffes in, in speaking, some of the unfortunate falls that he's had, or just the way that he's handled certain situations, it's made people feel not that they don't like him, but they're just more concerned, wondering, is he really up for the job? On top of that, this survey talks about how enthusiastic voters are. Only 37 percent of voters are enthusiastic about former President Trump as a candidate, 32 percent for President Biden. That Mm. means a lot of people don't want this rematch. Yet here we are. Looks like we're going to have it. Yeah, it is sort of staggering that this is where we are. And I think that's why when you look overall where people feel about the political system as a whole, that we're just at an all new low on how we feel about Um, the candidates, about government, about all of it. But I think there's underneath it, you've got to look at something else. When Trump, when you look at how enthusiastic Republican voters are, 78% of Republicans are enthusiastic about him. Um, When you look at Democratic voters, only 68% are enthusiastic about Joe Biden. And I think the other thing that you want to look at is how many of them are very enthusiastic. When you think about how many Republicans are very enthusiastic about Trump, it's almost half, 47% say they're very enthusiastic about him, which translates into voter turnout. Unfortunately for Joe Biden, only 29% of his base um, is very enthusiastic about supporting him. Now, on the Republican side, if half the voters are very enthusiastic about former President Trump, it's very difficult for the other candidates in this race to gain traction There have been very few surveys that show any of them even close in this race so far. We've had two debates now without the former president on stage. No one has seemed to gain enough traction to get anywhere close. Where do you see this right now? Well, I see it as a really no-win situation for any of the other candidates. And the reason for that is pretty simple. I always say the person that frames the debate wins the debate. And even though Donald Trump wasn't on stage, he has framed the Republican debate to be much about this idea that the system is rigged, that people treat Republicans unfairly, that they look down on Republicans, that they treat him unfairly. But he is the one that's going to fight for the American people, and he's not going to back down from this fight, whereas the other candidates simply haven't made their case. And as a result, they continue to drop in the polls. DeSantis hasn't really made a case that's emotional and visceral. He's still talking about the woke wars. He's tried to make a shift and a pivot, but he hasn't done so successfully. Nikki Haley, a couple great debates, but what has she really gotten across? That she's going to be a pragmatist, that she's willing to compromise? We've seen that's not necessarily the most popular of positions. Mike Pence, he's out there trying to convince people he's a true conservative. Well, that's not going to get people really excited. So what is the lane that's going to overcome this very emotional, very visceral argument that Trump is making that he is going to fight for equality. He's going to fight for the American people. That was former President Trump's message from inside a New York courtroom the past few days at a civil fraud trial against him and the Trump organization. The continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time. And I don't think the people of this country are going to stand for it. Of course, the former president is also facing four criminal trials next year, two related to his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. He was also indicted over classified documents he took with him when he left office, and the other cases related to hush money payments before the 2016 election to purportedly keep alleged affairs he had quiet. 
you would think that the more indictments there are, the more charges there are, the more people would start to question him. But it's almost like the pylon effect has backfired. The more that they go after him, the more people think that it's politically motivated. About two thirds of Americans right now believe that this is politically motivated. And many people think that the way that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden are being treated is very different than the way Donald Trump is being treated. Um, and that's not that's not working to Joe Biden's favor. It's actually really motivating people to believe that Trump is that, that there's an ax to grind there. That there's almost this is almost too much. Um, and, you know, I describe this in many ways. If you think about that photograph or that drawing and there's two women that are pictured in the drawing. One is an old old woman, one is a young, beautiful woman. And depending on how you view the world, you look at the picture and either see the old woman or see the beautiful woman. That's kind of the way people see Donald Trump. You either see him in one way as this is just a crime, he's a criminal, he's a fraud, it's atrocious, or you look at him and say, this is really unfair and they're really out to get him. Many Republicans are looking at this and saying they're really out to get him. And the way that they treat him is the way that they treat all Republicans, which is they look down on us. And so he's tapped into something there. And it's hard to understand, but it's very, very real. If, as some Republicans hope, some of these candidates drop out of the race and it's former President Trump against just a couple of them, does that give someone a lane to challenge him for the nomination, in your opinion, from what you've seen? I think it's the only way, frankly, that there's going to be any way that you can challenge him. The number one in, in open responses when I poll people, the number one thing that I, I get when I'm talking about the other candidate is this is a person who's a good Trump alternative. So they're looking at this not as the viable candidate just in and of themselves, but as somebody to, to be an alternative to Donald Trump, which is fascinating just in and of itself. But I just don't see who it's going to be. Is it going to be Nikki Haley? Is it going to be Vivek? Is it going to be Ron DeSantis? There's really no indication right now that any one of them is ready to step away. And so who would they coalesce behind? I think it's a tough question. Well, despite his age and lack of voter enthusiasm, President Biden has an even bigger lead over his rivals in the Democratic race than Donald Trump in the Republican battle. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and Marianne Williamson are far back. Now, Kennedy appears ready to shift gears. Hi, everybody. I'm going to be in Philadelphia on October 9th to make a major announcement at the very birthplace of our nation. RFK Jr. posted that video the other day, teasing a sea change, he calls it, in American politics. A lot of Americans who had previously given up any hope that real change would ever come through the American electoral process have begun to find new hope in my candidacy. It's believed Kennedy may announce he'll run as a third-party independent on the 2024 ballot. On its face, it really looks problematic for Joe Biden because there's about 15% of voters who, in a recent NBC poll, say that they'd be willing to vote for somebody in a third party. And that's in stark contrast to what happened in 2020. Only 2% said that they were willing to vote. So there's more people who are at play there. And when you look at the, among those 15%, more of them are likely to have walked away from Biden than they are to walk away from Trump. So 77% of those who are willing to say that they're willing to walk to stick with Biden um, and 84% say that they're going to willing to stick with Trump should there be somebody else. So on its face, it looks like it should really favor Donald Trump should um, RFK get into the race. And when you look at it, um, 5% say they're willing to vote for a libertarian, 5 say no labels, 4 say a Green Party candidate. So that really does probably pull away more from Joe Biden than it does from Donald Trump. That said, 
Robert F. Kennedy is fascinatingly, he's more popular among Republicans than he is with Democrats. Really? So, yeah. When you look at some of the things that uh, RFK stands for, whether it's on vaccines, whether it's on some of the other things, it actually could pull from the Republicans. My guess is, though, this is really going to come down to those seven states that matter the most. And the issue there is going to be really uh, that Joe Biden could suffer uh, should RFK explore this third party run. You mentioned no labels. That's the group that's trying to get on all 50 states ballots. And they might have somebody like Senator Joe Manchin or somebody trying to put a bipartisan unity ticket on the ballot. You said the voters are open to third-party candidates generally, Mm -hmm. but if they see someone they're familiar with and there's a bipartisan ticket and they think Biden's too old and Trump might be too corrupt or whatever they think, do you think that number might actually rise? It really depends on how they run their campaign. I think it's really hard to get excited by some of these very moderate candidates as much as, as most people consider themselves to be moderate or straight in the middle. And the energy just doesn't get there. So the question is, how do they motivate voters beyond the 5% who say that they're excited about a no-label voter you know, party to go out there and, and to get them energized to vote? Because there's a lot of energy around Donald Trump and there's a lot of energy against Donald Trump. And so how do they get that energy that's against Donald Trump to go towards no labels instead of towards Joe Biden? Um, Is it going to be uh, an abortion play? Is it going to be some other play on how uh, the economy be stronger? Should it be nonpartisan? I'm not really sure what the case would be. Um, We'd have to see it, but it is possible. But I just don't see it being enough to be able to take on Trump. Well, we certainly have a long way to go before we get all there, but it's certainly fascinating as we do it. Lee Carter, pollster, president for Maslansky and Partners, we thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is Carol Roth with your Fox News commentary coming up. More and more Americans are getting priced out of the housing market fueling more interest in alternatives. My sons and daughter kept on saying, you know, why don't you look into those tiny homes and you can put it on one of our properties. They're affordable and you can, you know, you can still live. All of your money isn't being taken away. Patty Beld did move into a tiny home. Zach Griffin is with the Tiny House Industry Association. It's filling the gaps in our housing ladder where we really just don't have any smaller, kind of more affordable housing that's available. About two-thirds of Americans are homeowners, but a report from real estate data provider Adam says home ownership is unaffordable for the average person in most of the country. Their review in more than 500 counties finds median home prices in 99% of those areas are too high for the average income of more than $71,000 a year. How can I say this? It's very unattainable. Fox Business's Jerry Willis. It's difficult to buy a house, especially if you're middle income these days. Putting together the down payment is difficult. And then you have a lot of expenses once you own the house, right? So I think people have seen those housing prices go up, up, up. Of course, mortgage rates are super high. So that's like a vice grip on people's wallets, those two things. And people just, they can't make it happen and they're losing confidence that's the thing that's so upsetting to me people are losing confidence in their ability to own i don't know if you saw this story recently i think it was in the wall street journal it showed people who were going out and doing these elaborate vacations and bachelor parties because they think i'm never gonna own that is sad 
actually. It's sad, and it's probably not true. Because at some point, the market will turn around, rates will come down. There'll be some kind of fundamental change in the market that will make it more accessible. You need to have that money together when that happens so that you can take advantage of the opportunity. So part of the message would definitely be um, don't give up. Um, But affording a home does have a lot to do with how much you make, right? So has income not kept pace with the rise in home prices? Is that part of this? Heck no. Uh, Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, the story that I'm doing is all about affordability getting worse. And just to give you an example, poverty guidelines. So that's the amount of money, minimum income to secure the necessities of life. So Poverty guidelines, that's how much you need for housing and food and make put gas in your car. Now we're starting to see that those costs, even for rentals, well above that. So you would pay more in rent monthly on average than the poverty guideline would be set for you. So I think people are just so frustrated with this that they don't know what to make of it and they feel shut out. The Fed hasn't ruled out another rate hike before the end of this year and its ongoing fight with inflation. Is that more bad news for mortgage rates or is there a chance that mortgage rates have peaked for now? I think mortgage rates typically follow what the Fed does. I mean, that's just sort of the way the market works. Will it stay? Will it stick? I mean, typically you see those mortgage rates get out in front a little of what the Fed's doing. They tend to anticipate, but it's not completely clear what they're going to do. So you could see those rates come up another you know, a few basis points higher. But I would say uh, Fed's not done. I think there's more to come. In terms of inventory, I know it's been low in recent years, to say the least. Is it, you know, historically low or is that something that can get even worse, the amount of homes available? It's historically low. It's a problem. That's for sure. The thing that's going to open that up, I believe, is rates coming down. You know, you've got this whole wave of baby boomers who own all of this real estate, right? And at some point they're going to consolidate and they're going to own, not own two houses, they're going to own one house, they're going to sell some houses, but they need to know that there's going to be a place for them to go, that they can actually get another mortgage on the other side that's not too expensive. That's what's holding them in the marketplace. This is why they're not moving. It's like a series of dominoes that are yet to fall. I'm wondering how different um, sort of societal changes may be fueling issues with the housing market or being driven by issues with the housing market. For instance, you've got a lot of multi-generational families living under one roof, which may be partly an affordability issue, but partly because, you know, they just want to keep the family together. But you also have, you know, young would-be buyers who maybe have decided, you know, maybe they don't want to have children, for instance. So how much are these things in play? Well, I don't know if you remember, but five years ago, we were talking about how people in their 20s and 30s would never own a home because they wouldn't want to, not because they couldn't, because they would choose to rent everything, every piece of hardware, the houses, the phones, the cars. They would never own or buy anything. Of course, the first people you've seen in line to buy houses are people in those age categories. So I think there is this lingering, continuing interest in home ownership, children or not, that people have, they like to own their own piece of the pie. And frankly, people get tired of sending checks to people they're renting from, from their landlord. I don't know about you, but there came a point where I was like, 
I really wish this was going in my pocket and not my landlord's pocket. Because the thing to understand about home ownership, yes, you use a loan from the bank to buy your house. But the reality is it's like a store of cash. That's what economies call uh, buying a house because you're putting money away slowly over time, possibly in no other category you do that. You know, only uh, 49% of Americans have zero retirement savings. So the only thing they're putting down every month in their own name is their mortgage. And you call on that later, right? It's a store of value. You can you can borrow against a house, you can sell it. So it actually is a meaningful asset. I know that's like really geeky, and that's my Jerry went to business school-like analysis, but you really need to think about what you have for the long term and where you're setting money aside each month and every month. Sure, you should do your retirement, but a house is a similar kind of investment. Right, and it's not just, uh, it's not just an expense, it's a big asset, like you say, an investment. How much of the housing market issues right now, if you will, are still fallout from the pandemic? Because a lot of people did restructure their lives, not just working from home, but moving as a result of that. And we had sort of this big, you know, real estate boom, right, during during the pandemic, not long after the height of it. I think is a lot of it has to do with the legacy, the lingering effects of what happened in COVID because people were buying in places they don't normally buy, right? We saw like a lot of West Coast cities light up and a lot of Florida, a lot of Texas, near South. Uh, we really saw a lot of communities other than the biggest urban areas getting a lot of people moving there and, and subsequent issues have actually propelled those trends, not taken away from them. And by that, I'm thinking of the violence the rising crime in a lot of these big cities, people are deciding I want to be somewhere else. So there have been a lot of real estate trends set in motion by COVID that we're seeing continue and we're going to have to keep an eye on. But I mean, it's good news for a lot of communities throughout the country who maybe didn't get this kind of attention before. There's also a lingering impact on the commercial real estate market, right? Because um, a lot of offices are still empty or mostly empty. Yeah, it's interesting to me that no matter what CEOs say, people are not coming back. You know, a lot of people are continuing to work from home. And because we have this incredible labor market, right, tight as a drum, you know, people are too afraid to offend their employees too much, right? You want them to come to work. You want them to show up, whether it's via Zoom or in the office. But yeah, commercial real estate, if I was going to say there's any part of the economy that's going to fall out of bed next year, I the thing I worry about most is commercial real estate. And why do you worry about it? I mean, I mean, how much of an impact does that have on the rest of the housing market or the economy in general? It's not good for the economy because uh, people who own commercial real estate have deep pockets. They spend money. They're part of growth. When we're having economic growth, they're contributing to that. You want everybody to be healthy and everybody to be expanding. You don't want some parts of the economy not participating. What about companies like Airbnb um, and others with extra sort of buying potential scooping up investment homes? Is that still impacting the market? Has that had an outsized effect on the market? I think a lot of that has been scaled back. That's what I've seen among a lot of the companies that have been doing that. 
they've kind of like taken a step back because they're a little concerned, a little worried. And I have to say what's interesting to, because I am most interested in individual buyers, right? I'm most interested in, you know, real estate buyers who mom and pops, mom and dad, you know, kids buying their first house. I love that. This provides competition for those folks. So if you're someone who wanted to buy and you're going to live there with and raise your family there, now suddenly you're competing with, you know, what are deep pocketed investors? I mean, that's my concern with those people investing in real estate is they may be, you know, clawing back some of the really good properties that otherwise would be available to regular folks. What can would-be homebuyers do to help get the American dream back in reach at this point? Well, you're not going to change the big macro facts of life. Interest rates at 7.3%, not a lot of inventory. Your only options, patience, because the market will come back to you at some point. Changing your location and expanding where you're looking, making that geographic window bigger, right? going further out from where you otherwise might look. And thirdly, maybe doing the kind of thing where you buy an investment property and you have two homes in one building and you're renting out part of it. That way you have an income stream that you can take advantage of and that might make it more affordable for you. I know a lot of people think about that. It's People make a lot of money over time doing that. I've got to tell you, it's, it's often a very good option for people who are just trying to get their foot in the door. Not for everyone, I guess, but if they can stomach it, it can have big rewards. Just one other thing about rent, because rents have been sky high in recent years, and it's hard if you do, especially for first-time buyers, right, if they're trying to save up for a home, but they are spending all of this money on rent in the meantime. I mean, what do they do? It's hard to say, okay, well, if I'm not getting a raise... Do I just try to cut more expenses? Well, the good news for employees right now is that you have a lot of leverage in this marketplace because the labor market is tight as a drum. You can ask for raises. You can look for promotion. You can look for a new job that pays you better. There's a lot of opportunity out there in the job market, unlike the housing market. So take advantage of what's working. Fox Business's Jerry Willis, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Other news. I'm John Sassier. Dorothy Hoffner made her first skydive at age 100. Now she's 104, but still jumping out of airplanes. She did so most recently this past weekend when she left her walker on the tarmac, ascended to 13,500 feet, and jumped out of the plane for a seven-minute-long skydive. Sure, she was harnessed to a certified parachute instructor, but insisted on leading the jump. The Guinness World Record for oldest skydiver was set in 2022 by a 103-year-old, so Dorothy's hoping to certify this as a new world record. She told the crowd when she landed that age is just a number. By the way, she turns 105 in December. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm John Saucier. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Carol Roth. What's on your mind? 
The climate catastrophizers, the same ones who have been making incorrect predictions for more than 50 years, have an agenda that is not only unnecessary, but also costly. When we look at the cost of everything green, one cost that isn't well factored into the discussion is that of destroying more of our economy, particularly losing it to China. Because of the changes in trade coming from the U.S.'s actions, hundreds of millions of people in China were lifted out of extreme poverty, and China's economy and power on the world stage were elevated. However, it was a different story in the U.S. While we imported deflation in the form of being able to buy cheaper stuff from China, there were long-term consequences. It destroyed a good chunk of the U.S.'s manufacturing capabilities, and with that, jobs with good wages. An estimated 5 million U.S. manufacturing jobs were lost between 1997 and 2017. The climate crisis pushers want to move us away from critical fossil fuels and replace that energy in large part with sources they see as more green. Even if this could be done at scale, even if the green energy were better and didn't have its own set of challenges, and even if it wouldn't create all kinds of cost and national security issues to make the change, the U.S. would again be giving up their competitive advantages. While the U.S. has been trying to bring back manufacturing, there are barriers to doing so, many of those self-imposed. The U.S. doesn't have a cost advantage in terms of labor or many critical raw materials. What we do have is an advantage in energy. And the climate catastrophizers want us to give that away too. Consider electric vehicles. Ford recently announced it was set to lose $4.5 billion on its EV business this year, not having the cost advantage to make green vehicles efficiently. China has the ability to make EVs on a much cheaper basis. Given their various cost advantages, including in making electric batteries, China has small models it has put out for under $15,000. This has allowed them to not only dominate in China, but begin to take market share in Europe as well. A big lesson from the COVID-era supply chain disruptions was to shore up raw material supply. Going green means more reliance on China and other nations for rare earth minerals and other required green materials. The move away from traditional energy also threatens the U.S.'s top exports. Having given up our manufacturing and wages to China, giving up our energy advantage is fiscally and otherwise irresponsible. And China is counting on the short-sightedness of U.S. central planners to repeat their mistakes again. Energy is everything for an industrialized society. Access to cheap and reliable energy affects the price of nearly every good and service, and as emerging countries flourish, even positively influences life expectancy. Energy is life, something that our central planners seem to ignore while China and others double down. The green pipe dream is creating the conditions for slow economic suicide for the United States. It's time to stop handing over large swaths of our economy to China. We must be realistic about the issues and learn from the past before it's too late. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 
I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night.